Hi, I'm Jadeep Prabhu from Cambridge. Hi, I'm Nabi Raju calling in from Brooklyn, New York, and you're listening to the Jugad Community Podcast. You're listening to the Jagad Community Podcast. I'm your host, Trishala, and I'm part of the Jagad Community team. If you're back after episode one, welcome back. If it's your first time joining us, we're so happy to have you here. The Jagad Community is the world's first learning community of over 4,500 people from 10 countries, centered quite literally on modern day Jagad and its various forms that drive value for individuals and the people around them. In this podcast, we explore modern-day Jagad through five conversations. Today, we're traveling to both Cambridge in the United Kingdom and Brooklyn in New York to chat with Jedi Prabhu and Navi Rajdu, co-authors of two of the best-selling books on Jagad called Jagad Innovation and Frugal Innovation. You must be wondering, how are we going to both the US and the UK at the same time? Well, that's the beauty of technology, allowing us to be everywhere and nowhere at the same time. you've got a grasp on a topic until you've read a book on it. Or maybe it's just me. I was in search of a book on Jagad and turned to my good friend Google to help me find it. Two names stood out to me loud and clear, Jaydeep Prabhu and Navaraj Thu. Jaydeep is a professor of Indian business at the University of Cambridge. Fun fact, he has 9,460 research citations in his name. Navi is an author of a number of best-selling books on frugal innovation, conscious societies, and sustainable growth. He's an Indian-French-American scholar. They've spent a large chunk of their careers exploring the many dimensions of Jagad and helping others understand it, especially within a business and economic context. They've done this independently and together as a team. In fact, they've sold over a quarter million copies of their first book, Jagad Innovation. After reading one too many of their articles, presentations, and TED Talks, I took the leap of faith and reached out. What better way to move closer towards achieving this podcast's goal than to connect with two people who've done it before? We spoke about Jagad's evolving role in their lives, revelations during the process of writing the two books, the criticism Jagad and by association the book has received, and where we are today, a full eight to 10 years after their first book was published, somehow in the same place. Lastly, we explored the role Jagad can play in the economic recovery post COVID-19 and heartwarming examples they've seen at this time of Jagad thinking. I hope you do yourself a favor and listen till the end. I have to say, Jethi Benavi are two of the most humble professionals I've met in my career so far. Their support for the next generation of leaders promoting Jagad is admirable. They have played a huge role in helping us build our Jagad community. In fact, Jadeep was one of our first 100 members. So let's get started. your relationship with Jagad like in your childhood? You know, um, it'd be great to hear some early experiences or notable kind of moments in your life uh, that led to your fascination with Jagad. 
Okay, so let me start. Uh, so Jaydeep, growing up in various parts of India, sometimes in big cities like Delhi and Bangalore, sometimes in relatively small places like Belgaum and Karwar. Uh, and I grew up like Navi uh, prior to 91. So 91 is a kind of watershed year for Indians because the economy opened, you know, to the rest of the world and there was relative growth. Prior to that, you know, we lived in a controlled economy, central planning, scarcity was the norm for anyone, you know, regardless of whether you were middle class or not. And so we really had to make do. And that was how the economy functioned. You had stuff, but not a lot. You didn't have many options. So I think from a really young age, we had that kind of jugard mindset. Really insightful. Navi, what about you? So I grew up near an urban slum. So I had a chance to play with a lot of young kids who were extremely poor with no shirt uh, and uh, no fixed house. Um, but they had a big smile and they were able to essentially uh, improvise and be very resourceful uh, to address their daily needs. Uh, so for example, we would play cricket, you know, where we protect our knees with uh, cardboard, right? So we couldn't afford to buy any sophisticated uh, sports, you know, gear. Uh, and the list goes on. And we also had major droughts in uh, the 70s. Uh, so we had to wake up early in the morning fill buckets with water. Uh, so we learned to do more and better with less. Poor people may be marginalized, but they're not marginal minds, as uh, Sikhar Prahlad and Mashilkar uh, are used to saying. Uh, Jadeep and I have seen you know, the value of Jugad, uh, not necessarily as a survival strategy, because we also yeah. saw how people use Jugad to uh, bring value to communities before 1991. Uh, when the choices were limited, right? We couldn't import items, right? So, so you have to make do with whatever, you know, made in India products we had. Yeah. So I think that resilience, uh, that ingenuity, uh, we were able to cultivate uh, out of necessity. I love the way you put it, uh, doing more and better with less. So it's not solely about making do with what you have, but also driving value for communities. Um, how have your relationships with Jugad changed over the years? Maybe with your life phase, age, uh, what was that like? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, speaking for myself, I, you know, I went to Delhi as an undergraduate. I studied at IIT and it was with a bunch of engineers. And that's when, this was in the late 80s, and that's when I really heard this term jugad you know so even if we had been applying the principles it's really a punjabi urdu hindi word it's you know prevalent and originated in punjab really with farmers you know sort of rigging their vehicles so that's when i first heard this term jugad and we applied it in a sort of everyday sense of you know trying to find a way around a problem and it could it needn't be an engineering or a technical problem it could have been a problem with how to get uh, a ticket to go to your hometown by train when you know there was going to be a long queue and it had negative connotations and then i left i went to the us and of course you know in the us things at least appeared to me as the opposite of jugad you know here everything was structured you know there were properly functioning institutions there were rules that people followed technology worked there was choice you know all this kind of stuff and i think in the back of my mind jugad was something that I had left behind. It was a relic of that kind of underdevelopment that I had experienced in India. And then years passed and Navi and I, you know, were in India talking to, this is late 2000s now, probably 20 years since I left India, talking to uh, the, these uh, Indian, often Indian return, but sometimes uh, foreign, Western 
uh, engineers working in these very big R&D centers of Cisco and IBM and GE in Bangalore, my hometown. One of this, uh, you know, very distinguished engineer, actually was an American at Cisco, uh, dropped this word jugar and said, you know, we, I was trying to understand what they were doing there. And he said, oh, we're doing jugar. I was like, are you joking? I, I mean, and he said, no, seriously, you know, we, we think that there's something in, innate here, this ability to, you know, um, find solutions in really challenging situations. And that's when I started to take it seriously as a as an academic or as someone who might write about the concept. So it was almost like coming, you know, full circle, but ending up in a different place. So, so in my case, uh, the Jugad actually has been, you know, part of my professional life for a while because uh, in 95, after my master's degree, I went to work in Thailand at the Ministry of Science. And, uh, and you can imagine as a nonprofit company, they didn't have any resources. So, and I was supposed to be the IT manager. These technologies were quite expensive. Mm-hmm. So I have to do some Jugad thinking. So that was, that's the first experience I had, you know, practicing Jugad, you know, doing more with less. And then when I came to the U.S. Uh, to do an MBA at Yale, uh, I went bankrupt. Um, so I had to survive on almost no money uh, to pay for my food and, uh, and, and you know, I didn't even have decent clothes. So I had to, uh, you know, apply Jugad <laughs> to, you know, to survive in the U.S. Uh, that was 20 years ago. And even this year, funnily, you know, our time repeats itself, you know, with the COVID, right? I mean, also uh, all my speaking engagements because my main source of revenue is mm-hmm. uh, keynotes. So yeah. that conference circuit got decimated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, beyond the kind of the, the intellectual sphere, on a private life, I always felt that, you know, Jugad is a way to kind of uh, simplify, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as Gandhi say, right, you know, you have to learn to live simply so that others can simply live. By going to India to do some research, we actually encountered serious people beginning to tell us the value of Jugad. It's a classic thing, right? Indians, we leave India and, you know, we look at the West as a role model. Everything is great here in the West. And then somebody puts a mirror in front of us and say, look, you know, how good you are, you know, how great you guys are, right? And that's how we begin to appreciate, re-own, own cultural heritage. Thanks for sharing that, Navi. Um, you know, you, you both touched on reowning your cultural heritage and coming back to your roots, um, you know, full circle. I can completely relate with that as an Indian born and raised and now living outside of India. Um, you hear things you've heard all your life from your parents and grandparents, but you never take it seriously. Uh, and now those things are trendy, right? Um, Jaydeep, can you outline how did you meet and decide to work on this book? I know um, you also have a third co-author, Simone. Uh, so I'm curious to know, how did this all come about? Yeah, that's a great story too. So I was, uh, I come back to Cambridge to take up a chair in Indian business. And uh, attached to the chair was a center. There was some money to set up a center that would be a platform of engagement between academics studying India and people in business and policymakers who are interested in Indian business. And so I spoke to people and said, I've never run a center in my life. What do I do? And they said, you have to get an executive director. You've got to get somebody who knows about the real world. He's not an academic. And so we advertised and it just so happens a complete coincidence that when we were in that process, I got an email from Navi who was in San Francisco uh, working in Forrester saying, you know, I'm passing through and, um, you know, I work, I write on India and innovation. I see you've set up a new center. Uh, I'd love to come and give a talk. And he said, great. Uh, Also, would you be interested in this role? And 
you know, I told him what the salary was going to be. And, you know, it was clearly far less than what he was getting at Forrester. But you can ask him, you know, what he thought. And I thought he's not going to come. But a couple of weeks later, he said, you know, I'd be interested in the role. And then he and I said, we've got to engage with India. We went to India. And as I said, we met with, with people there. We also met Simone, who it turns out, Navi was advising for her documentary about innovation in India. The three of us met, I remember it was in the Taj. And, uh, you know, that's when we got, I got to meet Simone. Navi already knew her and came to realize that she had, you know, got a lot of insight into how innovation happens in India from the grassroots up. And then eventually an agent saw that we had been blogging and said, would you like to write a book? And um, that's how we ended up writing the book. That's so wonderful. So, Navi, what was your incentive to take up the role? Oh, uh, the, the incentive was essentially uh, I was getting tired of writing about innovation in the West. I came to the U.S. in 99, but I began to realize that, you know, I wasn't really looking at India and what India can teach us as well. And I've always been, since I was a kid, not nationalistic, but, you know, I, I, I loved India. You know, I always said India has so much to contribute to the West. When I learned that the Indian government in a way funded this, that for me was the, the kind of the, the deal clincher because I said, wow, the Indian government is actually investing in, you know, in an academic center. The center wasn't to look at the past of India, right? In a way, yes, but it's about how India can become a key actor in shaping the future of the world. I was seduced by that. I said, wow. Absolutely. Such a fantastic opportunity. Um, I don't want to spend time going through specific concepts you've explored in the book. That's all out there in public domain. And for those listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to um, check out the book. They've actually written two books together. Jagad Innovation is the first book and the second one is Frugal Innovation, uh, available on Amazon, Kindle, at your local bookstore, you name it. So I would encourage you to, to do that. It's filled with insights and relevant examples, um, even though it was written in 2012, the first book, so relevant to today's times. So we're going to be focusing more on the behind the scenes and what came before and after the book. Navi and Jaydeep, I'm curious to know, what was your aha moment? You know, what stood out to you in the process of writing these books? So, you know, I think, first of all, just the, the idea that something, a concept that I'd grown up with that many of us look down our noses at was something one could take seriously and that others were taking seriously, that there was something there that the world, not just India, could learn from and that it could be taken to a higher level, so to speak, you know. So that to me was a real aha. My boss kept saying, you know, what's your angle? And for me, that became the angle. So the challenges of India, the things that we often bemoaned about India, the fact that it's such a large, diverse country with a lot of uh, inequality as well. Uh, that there's a scarcity on a grand scale, you know, all these things that we saw as negatives could actually be turned on their head. And in fact, Indians had almost perfected this art of turning things on their head and, and necessity became becoming the mother of invention. That, that, you know, that idea that you could, from that basic ingenuity of making do, you could come up with these uh, polished solutions which would have commercial and social impact, not only in India, but for the rest of the world. And this coming from some of these technology icons, these companies that I'd grown up to admire, GE, the likes of GE and IBM, they were in India precisely, at least at some point, to, to not only take this idea and make something of it for India, but potentially take it elsewhere. 
For me, the aha moment was uh, living in the U.S. to recognize that uh, Jugad is something that this country practiced, like the founding fathers, like uh, Ben Franklin, uh, has been a, a pioneer of frugal innovation, right? Because uh, he was a serial entrepreneur. Even uh, he was also an open source pioneer because he never patented his inventions. And uh, most importantly, you know, he lauded the virtue of uh, frugality. Right. He famously said that, you know, with frugality industry, everything can happen without them. Nothing will happen. Um, so uh, in America, we call it the Yankee ingenuity. Right. Uh, and popularized by the MacGyver uh, TV series. So, you know, I don't know about your generation, but our generation in the 90s, you know, we were, uh, you know, hooked to this uh, MacGyver uh, character who was this, you know, uh, anti-James Bond, right? He was able to kind of deal with problems just using a Swiss knife and duct tape and everything. So um, so I think uh, I think that was the aha moment for me is that Jugad, yes, the word is peculiar, you know, to India, but it's universal, right? And, and mind you that we wrote this book, uh, the context was uh, post-2008 recession. So that's why this podcast is very timely right because there's a deja vu going on right now so for yeah. me at least right at Jadi too because this is exactly the situation we were in in about you know 12 years ago right you know if you remember the, the Lehman Brothers right I mean it was bad it was really bad in America and not only that but if you look back the inequality we talk about in America well it actually began then I mean you know it got worse I'm actually writing right now a case study and you know even back then right we had like uh, 100 30 million people struggling financially. It got worse now. So we already knew that uh, even though America is rich and that's aha moment, it's, uh, you know, sorry to say this, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a second or third world country, right? Disguised as a first, first world economy, right? That's a fact. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where we realized that, oh my God, you know, this, you know, idea of Jugad can be useful in America too to create inclusive solutions right, for half the population, which is really struggling. And today we know that the latest numbers is like 170 million Americans are financially challenged. So Jugad is becoming even more important today than it was 12 years ago. Really fascinating. Um, you both speak a lot about Jugad's impact and value in the West and how some of the world's most influential organizations are and have been leaning into Jugad thinking and a Jugad mindset. Jadeep, you've worked with and consulted these organizations for, you know, a number of years. How do you approach a conversation on Jagad with them? How do you frame it? What are the barriers? Great question. So again, one is language, you know. So the word or term you use has to be carefully chosen for the audience. And so you could use the word Jagad in India and in some quarters people wouldn't bat an eyelid and they would totally buy what you're saying and be on board but in some other quarters and some you know certain generation of indians they would you know you've lost them immediately mm -hmm. and you would have to use an english word like frugal innovation then that's acceptable but if you said jugard that would be unacceptable because it's just irredeemable as a concept equally in the west you know so after the book got published uh, in 2012, the, we realized there was a lot of interest in some of the ideas in the West for the West. But, you know, the word Jugard wouldn't necessarily travel in the West. You know, it might, but it might not. So we found that the word frugal mm, did, frugal innovation did. So we started using that term. 
And it's interesting that that term might work in the UK, for instance, commercially with companies where, you know, and and in many parts of Europe too, where frugality is still regarded as a virtue in some ways, even in corporate life. But in some quarters, it may be regarded as cost cutting for the sake of cost cutting or, you know, kind of mean spiritedness or austerity if it's in the public sector, which has negative connotations. And interestingly, in the US corporate world, Frugality again is a I almost not a in some some parts it's not it's almost a negative thing or a, you know not something they care about terribly it's not the lack of resources say financial resources it's more the lack of time so there you know you may not want to emphasize the cheaper you emphasize the better and the faster so jugad is a, a frugal innovations about doing things faster and better and oh by the way you might do it in a you know smaller budget. So it's almost a question of language and a, and a question of the precedence, which comes first. Then when you get past that, when you get past, you choose the right language and you get people on board, then you come up against real barriers, by which I mean organizational barriers and incentives and mindsets. And so if even if somebody in the organization, in a big company like the top management, he gets the idea of, you know, ingenious new ways to do things and so on, then there's the challenge of getting the whole organization to follow. And that's really hard, particularly if that organization has been around for a long time and they've you know, been successful with an earlier model of innovation, which is very different, which is expensive, structured, long-term, technology for the sake of technology, all those things. So changing that kind of 100-year-old model to make it faster, better, cheaper is, is just organizationally challenging. Absolutely. I think it's challenging in the way that any large scale transformation is uh, is challenging. So a lot of that makes sense. Um, so, so Navi, since you've written this book, technology has advanced significantly. More people have access to it as new technology comes, old technology becomes more affordable. Large companies have a strong social mandate and frankly responsibility. So they're working with others to bring tech to those who stand to gain the most from it. How has this technological advancement uh, impacted Jugad and its evolution? What are some tech-enabled examples of it? Sure. Let's use uh, you know two quick examples, right? Look, look at Africa, for example. Uh, in Kenya, half the population uses something called M-Pesa, which is a mobile payment solution that enables them to send receive money without having a bank account. So they are going straight from, you know, no banking to mobile banking, right? So they're leapfrogging or even trailblazing uh, new uh, mobile applications. And um, similarly, in India, there is a startup called the Algo Surge. Uh, what they do is they use AI to automatically convert uh, 2D images from X-ray devices into 3D images. So this means that you don't need to buy as a hospital uh, CT scanners or MRI machines because you know even rural areas have uh, X-ray devices and they just have to upload the 2D data into the cloud and the AlgoSurg algorithms automatically analyze, convert that into 3D images. Uh, the building blocks of these technologies, right, are, are now available openly. And that's the point is that today, uh, technology innovation is not about reinventing the wheel. See, that's important. Jugad is about, you know, recombining, uh, you know, uh, integrating existing technologies to create new value. Mm-hmm. And we have seen that in the low-tech world, but now you can apply the same logic, right, to the high-tech. And uh, so that means that your job as a tech entrepreneur 
And in our book, we are very clear about it. The very first principle of Jugaad is to focus on the customer pain point, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what we love about the Jugaad innovators. They spend a lot of time really understanding the customer problem and the, and the technology stuff they can find easily, especially today, right? So they're not worried about the technology part, right? They're really worried about like, you know, how can we have the biggest impact possible? So, yeah, so that's what we see today. I mean, uh, I see like uh, the, uh, the next wave. My generation was uh, accustomed to seeing the software startups. You know, the first wave was software startups, Silicon Valley. But the second wave is going to be hardware startups, mm-hmm. right? With 3D printing, uh, uh, additive manufacturing, uh, you know, micro factories. You're going to see, you know, your generation will be the, you know, the first generation to will disrupt the manufacturing world and i want to clarify and, and, and this is important because there's also a new concept emerging it's called low tech so this is uh, if you google you will see so the whole idea is that you know maybe we are overdoing the technology innovation right let's kind of go back and 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 you know be frugal in how we create technology because technology also pollutes as you know right data centers are very polluting etc and we keep replacing our mobile phones that go into landfill that's not good for the planet Jugad and Frug Innovation is a spectrum that encompasses everything from low tech. As you said, you can send text messages, right? That's fine. But you can also use sophisticated AI technologies, right? And that's also good, right? So as long as the, 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 the ethos is the same, uh, we are very, uh, you know, agnostic. Love the point about not reinventing the wheel, understanding the problem, seeing what's available to you and leveraging it to solve for the problem. So over the years, I get this instinct that Jagad, or rather the values Jagad promotes, is getting trendier, especially from an environmental perspective. People are gravitating towards earthy and sustainable things. It's truly a trend. There's also this rise I'm seeing of environmentalism and more awareness of the damage we're doing to our planet. And to Jadeep's earlier points, you know, the very real constraints. People, in my opinion, are viewing Jagad as not solely an ingenious hack, but a way to tangibly improve and save our planet. What have you both um, seen on this front? Actually, Navi and I wrote a follow-up book called Frugal Innovation, which was about this idea in the West, particularly in large companies. A major driver we discovered was uh, environmental, the environmental pressures, and not just you know the fact that there was more activism or that it was a nice thing to have, but because this went fundamentally to the heart of their business models. Many of them realized that for them to be sustainable, quite aside of the environment and nature, for them to be sustainable, they had to uh, move from a kind of linear model to a circular model and figure out how they were going to reduce, reuse, and recycle. And many had given themselves this kind of target of in about 10 years, you know, completely transforming their model from a linear wasteful model to a circular renewable, uh, you know, model. Uh, your instinct is absolutely right. We found that this notion of jugar or frugal, which is true in a highly resource constrained environment like India, also applies in the West because wherever you are, eventually resources are finite. Most of them are, except for the sun, perhaps. So last question on the book. If you were to write the book today, what would you add or do differently? Oh, uh, I, th- I think it will be the climate change aspect because, you know, when we were writing in 2012, uh, we were focused more on inclusion, right? Uh, I, personally, right? For me, it was the fact that, you know, more and more people, inequality was becoming a growing problem. Uh, of course, today, you know, we, we mentioned inequality in the same phrase as the climate change. 
But you should understand that 10, 12 years ago, it was inequality was actually, you know, the bigger problem because of the recession and everything. So we, our interest in, and that's why Frugal was more focused on making solutions accessible to people who otherwise can't afford it, right? So we focused on affordability. Uh, but I would say that if you were to go back, we would definitely uh, put equal emphasis on sustainability. Uh, and, and we could have, you know, anticipated it. As Rajiv said, we did that in the subsequent book uh, that came out in 2015. Uh, and by the way, of course, uh, if the other thing we could have done is we could have anticipated a pandemic. We were thinking that the world is, you know, very stable, but we could have envisioned a future where, you know, forget about pandemic, right? Some kind of cataclysmic events, right? It could be, you know, climate induced, or it could be, you know, induced by a virus, doesn't matter. And, and, and that's where Jugad shines. Right. And we mentioned that in the book, right? We said when the system collapses, right, or the system becomes dysfunctional, paralyzed, Jugad rises. It's yeah. always like that. So moving on to the critiques of Jagad and by association of that, your books, the critics are saying that Jagad is an overrated Indian idea. The author of the book, Jagad Yatra, Dean Nelson, says it's the badge of identity keeping us from becoming a world leader. We shouldn't settle for Jagad. It belongs in museums. I've actually seen interviews of many prominent Indian leaders who share the same opinion. In fact, one of them, Raghuram Rajan, says it's our way of coping, but not what will lead us to sustainable growth. How do you respond to this or how do you see it? So I think those are very valid criticism. There's a grain of truth in all, all of that. And certainly I too uh, was very firmly of that view until I realized that there's also a lot of prejudice in that view. Uh, you know, and the part of the prejudice is that it's something that, you know, we had no options and therefore we, you know, relied on and, you know, once India became developed, you know, we wouldn't need those. As I said, it, was, it would be a relic of the past. We'd become like the West and we would have proper systems and proper functioning institutions and beautiful machines. And that's a wonderful vision to have, but I'm not sure that it's practical and, in fact, may not be possible anywhere, you know, because there are constraints. Um, there are constraints in terms of time and resources. And um, so in the Indian context, for instance, I completely understand the wish, the aspiration to have a Rolls Royce uh, solution, whatever that might be, whether it's an institutional solution or whether it's a, a gadget, you know, of course you would want something that's beautiful and does wonderful things and works perfectly. Is that practical? And is that really an option? And how long will it take to get to that option? In the meantime, you have huge deprivation. You know, what are you going to say to all those millions of people who don't even have proper clean water? Are you going to tell them to wait till India is developed or wait till they are rich enough to be able to afford it? So there's the Embrace Baby Warmer, which is really like a blanket, but it has some technology in it to maintain the temperature for infants who are born prematurely. So it's not a perfect incubator, doesn't have an oxygen tent, but it's less than $100 and can be used in remote areas. Ideally, you would want the 25 thousand dollar incubator from GE that has all the bells and whistles. But are you going to get that anytime soon? No. Will you be able to afford it? No. Will, if somebody gives it to you, will you be able to maintain it? Will you have electricity? Will you have a technician? No. In a situation like that, your options are between nothing and the baby warmer, not between the baby warmer and the $25,000 machine. So for me, it's a very practical solution to real problems on the ground today. So that's my take. It's a very practical take and I've come to appreciate its value. 
Absolutely. I think it's a viable option for so many. Um, Navi, what are your views? You know, Amartya sense, Amartya sense says, right, for everything you say about India, the opposite is true. Therefore, the critics are saying that Jugad is bad because Jugad is being used to cut corners. Uh, it leads to nepotism, corruption, which is all true. And, and a, a framework I use and I can elaborate right now is very simple, right? Is essentially in India, we have the Sanskrit word called uh, sankalpa, which is the intention or the motivation, right? So why you use Jugad, right? Matters a lot. So if you're using Jugad purely for selfish purpose, that leads to, uh, you know, very ugly Jugad, right? Like corruption, nepotism, etc. cetera. Uh, then there is a kind of a second category of Jugad innovations, which are more neutral. For instance, India, we have something called miscall, right? So miscall is, has created a whole protocol, communication protocol, right? Uh, very cheaply by leveraging the miscalls. Is it bad? Not really. Is it good? Not really either. It's kind of neutral. But we don't either condone or focus on these kinds of jugad, right? Our focus is on the good jugad where people use a kind of a noble intent Sankalpa, right? Where they are trying to create value for the community, right? The ex example of the Embrace in Infant Warmer or uh, Selco, which is a solar uh, social enterprise which delivers solar energy to rural households across India. They came up with a very, uh, you know, clever business model where they allow uh, village people to pay on a daily basis, right? We in the West, we pay monthly subscription for electricity. But this business model allows villagers to pay on a daily basis with a micropayment, right? So that's a kind of Jugad business model, mm -hmm. right? So I think what happens is that uh, I understand a lot of Indians on a daily basis, you are exposed to the bad and ugly Jugad. So you cannot dismiss it wholesale. So this is where I think that we need to use something that India is known for is uh, the discernment, right? And understand that, you know, between the, you know, bad Jugad and extremely good Jugad, there are multiple shades of gray. Yeah. And we clearly focused more on celebrating the kind of positive intent and the positive application of Jugad. I love Jugad as being this spectrum centered on intention and circumstance. Uh, I think everyone defines it differently based on the amount of privilege they hold in their life's context, right? For me, Jugad might be an easy recipe utilizing ingredients I have at home, maybe skipping a few steps. But for someone else, it might be something a lot more high stake. Uh, another thing I wanted to touch on was the role of class and caste consciousness um, and how that plays into embracing Jugad as a concept or letting it be, leading to the sort of, you know, oh, Jugad is beneath us or for the villagers thinking we can't ignore that dimension of this. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought it up, Michelle. I think that you, you nailed it. So actually, I would go one step further to be controversial. Actually, Jugad makes two groups of people very uneasy in India. It's the far left, both more on the far right. So let me explain. So the far left is worried that we are coming to steal an Indian concept, right? Like yoga, right? And then trying to kind of, you know, package it and sell it to the West. From the right side of the spectrum, where people, you know, feel that Jugad is not a relic of the past, but the image of the poor. For example, in China, you know that you're not supposed to use the term village. I don't know if you know that, but, you know, you can only call it second tier, third tier, fourth tier cities. The notion of village is banned in, in public discourse, right? So India is looking the same way. Oh my God, you know, we shouldn't talk about villages, right? We are modern now, you know, you know we, are, we are cities, smart cities, etc. So Jugad has become this, uh, uh, this, this thing that keeps reminis reminiscing us 
<laughs> that we are still a developing country. And that irritates the folks who want to present a shining India image, the West. So indeed, yes. So there's a kind of criticism coming from both part, both ends of the political spectrum. Fabulous points. So, so let's talk about COVID-19. In a lot of ways, this pandemic has sort of leveled the playing field a bit. We're all finding ourselves in the same situation for a very long time. We're sitting here and assessing how to turn adversity in our lives into an opportunity. And, you know, there's a wave of new headlines suddenly praising the great Indian Jagad. So many examples of it. Many nations worldwide leaned into Jagad and low-tech to get things into order quickly, whether it was masks or marking public spaces with chalk for social distancing measures. How has COVID-19 impacted Jagad and what role will Jagad play in the long economic recovery that lies ahead? As Navi was saying earlier, there's nothing like a crisis to really uh, appreciate and understand the value of an approach like Jagad. Um, because that's when you face constraints. And in this case, constraints of resources, not generally, but time. You know, you need to come up with a solution quickly. You don't have the luxury of, oh, you know, we'll do testing over 10 years and then we'll come up with a vaccine and we'll charge people a gazillion dollars for it, right? Um, so it's both time and also you're going to get have to get a, a, a vaccine that's affordable to very large numbers of people. And I've been struck by, you know, of course, right at the, you know, at the very personal level, right on our street here in the UK in Cambridge, on the almost the first day of lockdown, people created a WhatsApp group so that we could support each other, including some of the older people in the street who wouldn't be able to go get their groceries, and we didn't know what their health situation was like. So you know, it it created that environment and also this community spirit and using technology, but not as front and center as a support. You know, you think about the problem, you try and solve the problem, and then you think about what resources do I have? Oh, we have smartphones and we have WhatsApp, and you know, we have each other's phone numbers. I've seen examples of Jugard or frugal innovation operating at at least three levels: care, you know, so like hospitals springing up in India and Pakistan that were using. Uh, train coaches uh, repurposed to be mobile wards, you know, for cure new uses of existing drugs. So dexamethasone, which is being used very successfully here in the UK, is a widely available drug, has been used for ages, and it's been, it's been uh, you know, credited with really helping uh, increase um, uh, mortality, reduce the mortality rates uh, here in, in the UK, and it's now been used elsewhere. And it was a jugard. They, they were trying to fake figure out you know what they could use and used existing drugs that they were aware of and then prevention of course so you know navi and i have written about um the maker movement actually in our second book and you have maker spaces in india and there's a very remarkable husband and wife we've written about um who run some place called a place called the makers asylum in mumbai and in other places and you know they were offering courses um to students from all over the world to come to mumbai observe problems in the slums and then develop in the maker space uh, in, a, in a joint way solutions for them it could be environmental or whatever but they then realized they couldn't offer these courses so what did they do what are we going to do with this time and space and they realized a big pressing need was for visors for frontline personnel in mumbai doctors nurses uh, security guards policemen and they started making them in their maker space and then very quickly, they had an alliance of 42 maker spaces across India, including rural areas, 
who made over a million of these visors and sometimes gave them away as charities, sometimes sold them. So that's the kind of thing, I think, you know, these are the range of things that in a crisis, you see these kinds of jugards. People look around, they see, you know, there's a clear problem. They look around, what do I have to solve this problem? And then they put it together in a creative way and come up with a solution faster, better, cheaper. I love the WhatsApp example. I think everyone can relate to that. Navi, any examples on your end? This is in Italy, uh, in the region of Lombardy, which was really hard hit by COVID. Uh, there was a doctor who had this brilliant idea of adapting a scuba diving mask, right? a snorkeling mask used by scuba divers, and essentially create a component that could be 3D printed and convert this scuba diving mask into a respirator because there was a huge shortage of ventilators in that region. And you know, Italy, as you know, was hit hardest among Western countries. Um, so right from March 2020, uh, he worked with a, an entrepreneur, a designer, to create this uh, component and then they put it on open source and 10,000 you know, people downloaded the design spec so they can locally make the component and use uh, you know, the scuba diving mask to turn it into a, uh, into a respirator. I, I give this example for two reasons because this uh, scuba diving mask uh, is a, a branded product from a company called Decathlon, mm-hmm. which is a major sports retailer. And they read our book, Jugad Innovation, in 2012, and they actually created a team inside the company to develop the culture of Jugad. So that's why, again, right, we talked about earlier. So when the crisis happened, uh, mentally they were prepared, right? Because they have, you know, trained their staff to think and act like Jugad innovators. So that's why when the request came in, somebody says, hey, you know, can we use, you know, your snorkeling mask? and adapted to make a ventilator, for them it was, of course, makes sense, right? Uh, that's the first, first point. The second point which I like to mention is that uh, the Italian government gave the highest civilian award to the doctor and the entrepreneur who came up with the Jugad innovation. And they gave the award in June, in the midst of COVID, right? Not when they are about to die, you know, 20 years later, right? Why I say that? Because I think it's highly civilized on the part of Italians to recognize this kind of grassroots innovation, right? And I don't know, it may sound symbolic, but no, it sends a strong message, right? What about India? I mean, the example that Jadiv gave, right? We should give Patma Shri, right? One of the first civilian award to these makers. They made 1 million masks in seven weeks, so, so I think that's something we have to think about, right? Is how do we celebrate Jugad, right? Imagine that, you know, uh, the White House gives in awards or, you know, the, the Canadian government gives civilian award to the people in Toronto who came up with makeshift solutions, but they saved thousands of lives, yeah. right? They need to be recognized. So that's what we have to do. We have to start celebrating like the podcast, the podcast you're doing is another way, right? Yeah. Of making people aware that, you know, this is worth pursuing. Brilliant examples uh, from both of you on the role Jagat has played so far in, you know, reacting to COVID-19 and, and hopefully down the line in our recovery. It's, it's going to be a long road, right? <laughs> so hopefully lots of opportunities. The pandemic is coupled with economic crisis. So that's why we think that doing more with less, right? It's going to happen every level. Corporations, I can see it starting to think about it, right? Uh, governments, national level, at the you know city level, uh, you know the community level, uh, and the OECD director, right, who is you know a think tank, made it very clear that economic recovery is going to be very long for the next three to five years. 
and right. and climate change the crisis of climate change is not going to go away that's still there so you know again to your point about the link between jugad and frugal innovation and frugality and resources yes there's the immediate crisis of covid as navi says there will be the subsequent crisis of you know the financial recovery and you know employment and things like that and then there's still climate crisis the climate crisis that we have to deal with so for all these we need that kind of a mindset that brings us to the end of episode 2 thank you jaydeep and navi for your unique and extremely honest insights you both have truly inspired a generation of makers and shapers to lean into jagad to drive value for ourselves our communities and our planet Join me for episode 3 as I continue to explore the many dimensions of modern day Jagad. Subscribe, like, comment, send us a note with your thoughts or suggestions on people we should speak to, and join the community at Jagad Community on Instagram. We'll see you soon.